I ask if you will to open your Bibles to the passage that uh, Andrew read for us a few moments ago, in Hebrews chapter 10. If you would like, you can go ahead and mark, put your marker there as I've done because this is going to be the outline of our lesson this morning. Here in Hebrews chapter 10 and in these verses uh, 19 through 24, we have basically the synopsis of what the book of Hebrews is all about. In these verses, we have what the purpose of the book of Hebrews is all about. In these verses right here, we have the theme of what the book of Hebrews is all about. Uh, Andrew did a great job reading these verses, but for emphasis sake, I want to read them once again because I want us to dwell upon them and think about what the writer of Hebrews wants us to dwell on as we read these words. Hebrews chapter 10, beginning at verse 19. From the King James Version, it says, Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, his flesh, having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for He is faithful that promised. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. The thing that stands out in this particular verse that's so very important, that's really the basis of the entire book of Hebrews, and what everything else he says in these verses is predicated upon, is the idea that the ultimate strength that this world has known and will ever known is our precious Redeemer and Lord, Jesus Christ. That is something that needs to be settled in our hearts. That's something that we need to always put our faith and trust in. That is something that we should never, ever doubt. That the ultimate strength that this world has known and ever will know is our precious Redeemer and Lord, Jesus Christ. The impetus for this lesson, what got me thinking about this particular idea that I wanted to present to you this morning, all began because a couple of days ago, uh, Karen and I watched this particular movie, uh, The Darkest Hour. And um, I don't know how many of you have seen this movie, and I don't want to give away the ending of it or anything in case you plan to watch it, but um, it's, a, it's a good movie. Um, I may be wrong, but I didn't remember hearing too much profanity, if any at all. Uh, it's a nice, clean movie. Uh, the reason why Karen and I enjoyed it a lot was because of the fact that it's historical and it deals with a historical figure, and we always enjoy those kind of movies. But as I was watching that, and especially as you get to the end of the movie, the things that Winston Churchill says, this is about Winston Churchill and especially uh, the time when France fell and the soldiers were being removed from Dunkirk and the problems and the issues he had to deal with as being the new prime minister. But some of the speeches that he made and some of the words that he uh, said, uh, especially toward the end of the movie, uh, I looked over at Karen and she was, she was weeping. And that made me a little misty-eyed. 
because of the profound way he could deal with the English language in an effort to spur the nation of England on and not to give up when they're dealing with this terrible, terrible crisis. They thought that they were going to be invaded by Nazi Germany at any time. And there were those, in, even in, in Churchill's cabinet, that said, we might as well just go ahead and surrender and be done with it. Well, I was thinking about that, and I was thinking about his stirring words. And then I was thinking about a time in his life when he went back to a graduation ceremony at his old school. Uh, He attended a private school called Harrow, H-A-R-O-W, Harrow School. And he did so poorly there that he almost flunked out. But then he became prime minister became this great leader and hero of the English people. And so his old school invited him back to talk to these boys who were graduating and going out into the world. And this great orator stood up before these boys and was going to give them some words that should, be stay, should stay with them forever. And everybody was expecting this great and flowery speech as Churchill was known to do. But all he simply said when he got up was, Young men, never give up. Never give up. Never give up. Never, 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 never. And he sat down. That made me think about the fact that that's really what the book of Hebrews is all about. The book of Hebrews is telling us as Christians that we should never give up. Never give up. Never give up. Never, 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 never. The reason being, because we have the ultimate strength that this world has known and that will ever known, and that is our precious Redeemer, Jesus Christ. The book of Hebrews is basically a book that tells us that we should never give up. And the reason why we should never give up is because of Jesus Christ. He is the one who is our ultimate source of strength. All through the book of Hebrews, it points out the fact that Jesus Christ is the ultimate strength. For example, chapter 1 and 2 deals with the idea that Jesus Christ is greater than any prophet and greater than any angel the world has ever seen. He is the greatest spokesman that the world has ever seen. Chapter 3 of Hebrews deals with the idea that Jesus Christ is a greater lawgiver than Moses. Chapter 4 of Hebrews reminds us that Jesus Christ is a greater rest, rest giver than Joshua who brought people into the land of rest. Uh, chapter 5 deals with the idea of the fact that Jesus Christ is a better high priest than Aaron. You move into chapter 8. And you realize that Jesus Christ gives us a far better, greater covenant than the Old Testament. That in His covenant there is true forgiveness. There is true hope. You move into chapter 10 of Hebrews and you discover that Jesus Christ is the greatest sacrifice that mankind could ever need. He is the ultimate sacrifice. And therefore, as we go through the book of Hebrews, we are reminded of the words of that song we sometimes sing. He is my everything. He is my all. He is my everything, both great and small. We live in a world today where 
Uh, because of the very nature of the world and because of the very nature of humanity, because of the influence of Satan, we have a constant changing taking place. There's ups and there's downs. There's things that go forward and there's things that go backwards. Even with ourselves, sometimes we feel we've made two steps ahead and sometimes we feel like we've fallen back three steps behind. There are things that cause us worry. There are things that can cause us concern, whether it be from a medical issue or from a financial issue or from a relationship issue, whatever the issue may be. Life oftentimes is a constant turmoil of change. But the writer of Hebrews wants us to understand that there is something that will never change no matter what. And that is the ultimate strength that this world has known and will ever know is our precious Redeemer and Lord Jesus Christ. Notice how the writer of Hebrews puts this in Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 8. He says, Jesus Christ the same yesterday and today and forever. In other words, whether it was 2,000 years ago, whether it be right now or 2,000 years in the future, if the Lord hasn't come back, there is something that is never, ever going to change, and that is Jesus Christ. He is always going to be there. He is always going to be our ultimate strength, and we should never, never, never give up. The writer of Hebrews goes on and reminds us He says, which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast. Talking about Jesus Christ, He is our hope that anchors us as we go through this life. And that anchor is sure and steadfast. In other words, it will be unmovable because Jesus Christ is unmovable. He is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. But then as we start looking at our text today, I want you to notice how the writer of Hebrews sums up the whole book in a sense right here in these verses. Everything that we've talked about so far about Jesus Christ as it's presented in the book of Hebrews, how that he is the greatest of everything and his ultimate greatness as he's already presented earlier in this chapter is the idea that he's the ultimate sacrifice. But the text says, having therefore brethren boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, his flesh. Now we first look at that, and maybe we miss exactly what's happening here in this verse. But here, as I said, you find the whole theme of the book of Hebrews. Notice the writer says that we need to have boldness. Behind that is the idea that we do not need to ever give up. We are boldly supposed to go before God and ask for His help. We're supposed to boldly go before God and say, please forgive me of my sins. We're supposed to boldly go and say, God, please help me in any way that you can. I realize that I'm not what I'm supposed to be. I realize that I have all these issues in my life. I realize I have these health concerns. I have all these other concerns. Jesus Christ says, and the writer of Hebrews says, you boldly go before God and say, I need these things taken care of. Well, that may sound like pretty presumptuous on our part. But notice what the rest of the text says. Not only do we have boldness, but we have the boldness to enter into the holiest. 
Now, think in my, keep in mind that the book of Hebrews was written to Hebrews, meaning Jewish people. The whole purpose of the book was tell them to put their strength in Jesus Christ, not to give up on Christianity and go back into Judaism. But when they read these words, something immediately popped into their head. What popped into their head was the holies of holies of the temple and the tabernacle. If you remember correctly how that the tabernacle was divided up and the temple was divided up, you had the holy place where worship of God was taking place. Then you had a curtain or a veil, and behind that curtain or veil was the holies of holies, where the Ark of Covenant was, where God's mercy seat is, where God resides. And only one time a year was anybody allowed to go back into that room because it was such a sacred, such a holy, such a consecrated place that only one person was allowed to ever go back there. And it was the high priest. And it was after he'd gone through a series of ceremonial washings and sacrifices before he could ever go in there because that's where God was and God is holy and man's not allowed in a holy place where God is. But notice what the text says. Because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, we can boldly now go into God's presence, into the holy place, the place where God is. Well, still, that sounds kind of presumptuous, but we need to understand it has nothing to do with us. Because the text goes on and says that it's by the blood of Jesus that this takes place. If I tried to stand before God on my own, God would say, who are you? You are a sinner. You are an abomination to me. I have nothing to do with you. You cannot be in my presence. How dare you come before me and ask anything of me? But because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, we are allowed to go into the presence of God and we can boldly ask Him what we need in this life and in the life to come. This is all because, as the text says, by a new and living way. And Jesus Christ died on the cross. He did away with the old laws. Colossians chapter 2 and verse 14 reminds us, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances which were against us, which were contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. When Jesus Christ came to this earth and died on the cross, he did away with the old law, with all of its restrictions, with all of its penalties, with all of the things that could not be kept perfectly, the things that were against us, that kept us separated from God. But now he has given us a new covenant, a better covenant, and that's brought out in the book of Hebrews so many times in so many different places covenant that's written upon our hearts, a covenant that has true forgiveness, the reason why we can boldly go before God and even enter into the holiest place, His presence, is because God has given us through His Son a new and living way that allows us to have the forgiveness that we need so we can be in God's presence. And the text goes on to emphasize this, how that this was done through the veil. And there are some people who think that the veil that's being talked about here is the veil of death, but I believe what's being talked about here is the veil of the temple. How that because of what Christ has done, because of this new and living way, because of His blood, He has now concentrated us so that we can go through that veil that separated the holy place from the holies of holies. 
Now, we don't have to be some kind of special person, but because of the blood of Jesus Christ, that veil has been torn down, which was symbolically torn down on the night, on the day that Jesus Christ died. The Bible tells us that the veil that was between the, the holy place and the most holy place was tore apart. The death of Jesus Christ tore apart the veil. And, of course, this took place because of His flesh, because He was willing to die for each and every one of us. So here, once again, we have the writer of Hebrews basically summing up in one verse the whole theme, the whole purpose, the whole understanding of what we're supposed to have when it comes to the book of Hebrews. That our ultimate source and strength is Jesus Christ. He has done everything that He needs to do so that we can boldly go into the holiest because of His blood and because of the New Testament way. And with that in mind, once again, let me echo these words that because that Jesus Christ is the ultimate source and strength that we need in the world today, we should never, never, never give up but put our dependence upon Him. Well, on the basis of the constant and unchanging Christ, let us start doing three things every day. This is what the writer of Hebrew wants us to do. If we really believe that Jesus Christ is the ultimate source of strength for us as Christians today, there's three things he wants us to do every single day. So we need, as the title of this lesson is, three things. He says, let us first of all draw near. Draw near. The text puts it this way. Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. He commands us that we need to now draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. We need to be people who are constantly drawing near to God and His Son, Jesus Christ. It's impossible to embrace someone, to feel close to someone when you're far away. We need to find ways that we can draw as near as possible as we can to God and His Son, Jesus Christ. Many years ago, I was preaching in Knoxville, Tennessee, and I was standing in the foyer, and I heard two siblings talking to each other, a brother and a younger sister, and they didn't know I was listening, and I wasn't trying to eavesdrop. I just happened to be with an earshot when they were discussing and I don't know what brought up the discussion, but the older brother told the younger sister, and they're both adult siblings, uh, the older brother said, you know, I just don't feel that close to God anymore. And the sister simply responded, and then Karen probably knows who I'm talking about, and she was always very blunt. But the sister responded, she said, well, who moved? Who moved? And the point of this passage is we need to draw near to God. We need to be closer to Him. We need to find ways to be closer to Him. And we do it with the idea of a true heart in full assurance of faith. When we sing that song, Blessed Assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. We should never sing it with our fingers crossed. Or with a false assurance, we should believe the words that we are singing because it is based on the fact that our conscience have been sprinkled and that our bodies have been washed. 
The illusion then, once again, is the idea, first of all, how under the Old Testament law that the blood was sprinkled on the altar, removing the sins of the people, so our evil conscience should be relieved because of the fact that our hearts have been sprinkled with the blood of the Lamb and because of the fact that our bodies have been washed in pure water. And the idea of pure water is not the fact that that's the cleanest baptistry you've ever seen, but the purity comes from the blood of Jesus Christ. And because of that, now we can draw near. We can draw near with full assurance because our ultimate strength this world has known and will ever know is Jesus Christ. And we should never, never, never give up on Him. But there's something else he wants us to realize. There's a second let us. After saying let us draw near, the text goes on and says, let us hold fast. Let us hold fast. The text says it this way. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. We need to understand and appreciate the fact that we as Christians need to cling on to what we have. And the thing that we need to cling on to is our faith. Folks, it is our faith that's going to save us. It's our faith in Jesus Christ. It's our faith in His blood. It's his faith, our faith that He is the Creator and the Sustainer of this world. It is our faith in Him that we need to hold fast to so that we will never, 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 ever give up. It's brought out in the text that we should do this without wavering because He is faithful, that promise. Earlier in the book of Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 18, the writer of Hebrews says, God can not lie. God can not lie. He is faithful in all of His promises. He always keeps His promises. And I don't know if I said verse 9, but chapter 6 and verse 18. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 9 tells us that He is faithful. So we need to hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering because He is faithful. God's promises about heaven, God's promises about forgiveness, God's promises about taking care of us in this life, God's promises that tell us that He loves us and will always do what is best for us. Those promises are true and faithful. There's an old English custom that No longer is the case, but many years ago when they had the tall ships of the line with the mast and the sails, oftentimes before they would set sail to travel to whatever their next harbor was, the captain would line up all the men on the ship and the first mate would make sure all of them were in in attendance, that nobody was in in town or somewhere else. He would line them all up and the first mate would stand forward and say, We are here, sir. And the captain of the ship would say, are we all present and accounted for? And the first mate would respond, yes, sir, we are all present and accounted for and in God's care. We need to understand that our faith is something we need to hold fast and do this without wavering because we are indeed in God's care and God is faithful. God can not lie. But there's a third thing in the text. 
First two are things that we can do on the inside. Uh, Two things that probably give us the most strength when we are here at worship service because then it's most pronounced, but something we should do throughout the week. But it's more of an internal thing. But the third let us is more of an external thing. If you're saying, let us draw near and let us hold fast, notice what he says next. He says, let us consider one another. Let us consider one another. The text puts it this way. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. When we appreciate the fact that Jesus Christ is the ultimate strength and he is the one that I'm depending on, we need to also appreciate the fact that he is the one that everybody else is depending on. He is our everything and our all, both great and small. And we as a combined force need to help each one of our our brothers and sisters in Christ to draw near and to hold fast, to depend upon the blessings of God as we lean upon one another. If we truly believe that Jesus Christ is our Savior, if we truly believe everything else that the book of Hebrews says, then we need to consider one another and try to provoke one another into love and to good works. First uh, Peter chapter 1 and verse 22 reminds us that the reason why we are saved, the reason why we have obeyed the truth and have purified our souls is so for the purpose that we can show sincere love to one another. In other words, when we become a Christian, one of the things that Christianity is based on, the love of God and the love of Jesus Christ, well, obviously, then we should love one another. Being a Christian means that we should find ways to show our love one toward another. In 1 John chapter 3 and verse 16, it brings out the fact how that uh, Jesus Christ was willing to lay down his life for us. Well, we should be willing to lay down our lives for our fellow Christians. That's quite a tall order that he's asking of us, that we should be willing to die for one another. But if that's the case, certainly we should be willing to do other things of a more simpler nature. We need to make sure, as verse 18 tells us of John chapter 3, after saying what he says in verse 16, he says that our love should not be shown only in, uh, in word or tongue, but it should be shown in deeds. We need to do what we can to show our love for each other because we're depending upon the same Savior, the same strength, and that ultimate strength is Jesus Christ, our Lord. So the text tells us that we need to draw near, we need to hold fast, we need to consider one another. But as we close today, I want to go back to a passage that was mentioned uh, earlier. When he said, let us draw near. Now I want you to notice once again what it says. He says, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. Where does that full assurance of faith come from? Well, obviously it comes first of all because of what Jesus Christ has done. Because of the blood of Jesus Christ, we can have our sins forgiven. It's nothing but the blood that saves us. 
We need the blood of Jesus Christ because we are sinners, because we cannot save ourselves. There's no way in the world we can be good enough to save ourselves. We need the blood of Jesus Christ. Thus the writer of Hebrews says, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience, it's His sacrifice that removes that evil conscience. But the text goes on and says there's something else that needs to be done, and that is having our bodies washed with pure water. In other words, yes, Jesus Christ has done everything that he needs to do in order to save us, but we have to respond to that sacrifice, and that's obeying his commands to become a Christian. Predicated upon your faith, your repentance, and your confession, the end result showing that you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and want him to save you, you are baptized in the watery grave of baptism for the remission of your sins. The preacher Ananias put it to the apostle Paul, who was then called Saul, this way. He said, And now why tarriest thou? Arise and be baptized, and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. In other words, respond to the command to be baptized. It will wash away your sins, not because of something that you have done, but because you are calling on the authority or the name of the Lord. The book of Hebrews is an amazing book. If you ever have an opportunity to read any book of the Bible completely through, read the book of Hebrews all the way through. The case that it builds from a logical standpoint to its ultimate conclusion is one of the most powerful messages God has ever given us. But the message is simply this. The ultimate strength that this world has known or ever will know is Jesus Christ. We need to put our faith and hope in Him. We need to draw near. We need to hold fast. We need to consider one another and never, 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 never give up. Won't you come as together we stand and sing?